You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Cindylin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 145. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So I'm really thrilled to interview Alice for today's podcast episode. She's one of the winners from this year's International Home Staging Awards in the new construction category. And I just absolutely love her work. Like I'm obsessed. I also love her branding as well. You'll definitely hear all about that on today's episode on how she built her home staging business and her really diverse range of background. And I think having that eye coming in from photography and also architecture, it really has helped her really create this point of view for her staging work. And you can see that from her website and her Instagram as well. It's very clear in terms of who she is as a stager and what kind of work she's going to deliver to her home staging client. And if you have not followed Alice on Instagram, I definitely recommend you to. Her work is absolutely gorgeous. We are going to link all her information on our show notes. So if you want to find out how to follow Alice, just head to our website at stagemore.com slash podcast to look for her episode. So let's talk a little bit about Alice and her background. She's the owner and operator of Decorate Design. And you'll often find her staging through Oklahoma Territory, even though she actually grew up in central Missouri and received her master's in interior architecture and also product design from Kansas State University. It was through school and a life-changing study abroad trip to Tuscany, Italy, that she not only found her husband, but a heightened passion of design. Since getting married in 2012, she has continued to pursue these passions through the creation of Decor 8 Designs. And in the meantime, becoming a mom to two perfect timing humans, Frankie and Dean. She has always been drawn towards interior design and loved to create comforting and aesthetically pleasing spaces. And as a sixth grader, she was actually already dragging her mom around to every department store to find just the right bedding to go with her softly procure wallpaper border. Her education, background in photography, and a natural skill for styling really helped her develop an obsessive eye for details. But it was really her experience under the mentorship with Tara Hampton from the HGTV's Design Star that solidified her desire to make it a career for herself. Now, after years in real estate industry, she truly understands the importance of making your home stand out in today's competitive marketplace. Her goal is to provide her clients with an upscale yet welcoming design that leaves a lasting impression on the potential buyers. I really enjoy speaking with Alice in this particular episode because not only she has a really great background in home staging and design, she also has a real estate background as well. And it's also interesting to hear her journey to become a home stager, actually. I think most of us think, especially if you're new, actually, to the home staging industry, you think of the journey to be a very linear one, that you will take a certification program or some sort of training school program you graduate and then you start your home staging business and you're going to work on your own. But there's actually many ways to get into a home staging business. So I thought it was really great and beautiful actually for Alice to be very generous in sharing her journey and how she went about building her home staging business. And lastly, just a quick reminder, we also got a live workshop with Nikki on sales skills and also building organic relationship with your staging clients. This is something that she specializes in. As you can tell from a podcast interview, Nikki has a natural way to deliver what her clients want without them knowing what they want. 
And the workshop sign-up is now live on our site. You can just go to stagefourmore.com. It's on the front page. And you can also find a link in our show notes as well. All right. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hi, Alice. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. And congratulations on your win this year for our International Home Staging Awards in the new construction category. I absolutely love your project. And I think you have such an interesting background. And it shows too, like your photography background, because I think the way you presented your photos, it was really much like a magazine spread. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a really fun project. And, you know, it's always nice to be recognized for your work. Yeah, and it was beautiful. So before we get started on the show today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your home staging business? Yes, absolutely. So I'm Alice Decker, obviously. My business here in Oklahoma City is Decker 8 Designs, which is my last name and the number eight. And I've been staging here for two and a half years and just continuing to grow and, and learn new things along the way. I kind of really just stepped forward into my staging business in 2019. I had just had my first baby. And at the time, I was a real estate transaction coordinator for a local real estate agent. And in you know deciding whether we were going to put her in daycare or not, I kind of came to this crossroads where I was like, if I'm going to be putting her in daycare, I really want to be doing something that I'm super passionate about. And that was really kind of the catalyst that drove me towards taking the step forward and, and launching my staging business. And the rest is kind of history. That is amazing. We actually do have a lot of moms who are also stagers as well. So how was it to have a newborn and starting a new home staging business? It's interesting because a lot of it feels like a little bit of a blur <laughs> as a lot of the newborn process is. But for the most part, I felt like it was fairly easy. I would just, you know, stage during the day and be a mom at night. And I've continued throughout all of these years to really keep my family time on the weekends precious. So I don't take any jobs over the weekends. And I, as much as I can, try to stop work at 530 every day on the weekdays. That is really amazing. How do you work with that with clients sometimes? You know how real estate agents sometimes will call you at night or they're like, we have a staging emergency and all this stuff. So how do you draw that boundary professionally to make sure you stop at 530? That's a great question. And I will say, you know, I do struggle at the times. I'm a people pleaser. I always want to keep my clients happy. So I try to the best of my ability to make things happen. I actually, I staged a property a couple of weeks ago and it already went under contract and the buyers wanted to move in, do an early occupancy. So I had to get the furniture out within seven days. The only day that was going to work for me was a Saturday. So it was one of those situations where I did have to end up working a Saturday morning, but it was because I didn't have any other option. So as much as I can, I try to keep my business within business work days but every now and then there is circumstances where it will call for something yeah. to happen. Mm -hmm. And do you have a team working with you right now? So you're able to delegate a little bit as well. That is another important aspect for sure. Because as you know, you can't be in two places at once. So I did end up hiring an assistant this past April. Unfortunately, she started grad school, which I'm so excited for her, but I had to lose her for you know several hours during the week. 
so I am in the process of trying to find a replacement for her because I see the value in an assistant so much. But yes, at the time, like she was someone that I was able to call and say, Hey, can you meet my movers on this day at this time? So that I didn't have to be there to, you know, pack up different homes and and bring it back to the storage unit. Amazing. And so what is your local real estate market like? In Oklahoma City, it's really one of the more affordable places to live in the United States. And I feel like that's gotten in a lot of attention. I am seeing a lot of people from California moving here, a lot of people on the East Coast moving here. And even more than that, a lot of people seeing how seemingly cheap properties are here deciding to purchase income properties and start Airbnbs and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, along with a lot of other places in the country, when the pandemic hit, things got a little bit crazy for sure. The interesting thing that I like to point out to real estate agents that ask me is that when things kind of went crazy and, you know, we were seeing 20 plus offers on properties everything is going multiple offer. It didn't really reflect how busy I was getting because since properties were flying so fast off the market, there wasn't as big of a need for staging. And I would argue that people were still leaving money on the table, but agents weren't really seeing the value of staging as much because you know their properties were only staying on the market for 24 hours or less. So during that you know, first year, I would say of the pandemic, it was definitely a little bit slow for me. In recent months, it's gotten exceedingly crazy. And I think that's due to the fact that agents are still expecting these outrageous offers on all their properties. So they're, you know, still pricing things a little high and the comps are allowing for those prices. However, they're not selling quite as fast. And I don't know if that's because there's not as as many buyers out in the market right now, or if it's just that people aren't as willing to pay those crazy amounts of money because there's still so many other properties on the market. Yeah. I mean, those are a really good point. And I think definitely pandemics are a huge wrench into everything. Yeah, I think one of the things you see with the pandemic is that people realize that since I'm going to be working from home, I just need internet. So why don't I just move to a cheaper place? So we see in California, there's a huge exodus. People are going into places they can fly to very easily and still have a really high quality of life. And so cities like yours, for example, all of a sudden gets influx of Californians and people coming in from the East Coast where, you know, properties years are high. When I first started working, I think a startup home was around 200,000, 300,000. That's like in 2006. And by the time I stopped fully staging in 2016, 2017, our starter home market here starts around 800,000, 900,000. So it's really high for most people who, I mean, in the Bay Area, if you have a six-figure income, let's say low six-figure, like 130,000, it's actually considered low income here now in San Francisco Bay Area. So it's very natural for people to want to move to somewhere where they can have more space more availability and actually more money so they can have more disposable income to enjoy things like travel or raising children and stuff like that. But yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of times Asians also have the FOMO because there's so many things that can go into a transaction and can contribute to something failing so quickly that they feel like, well, I already have this deal on the table. 
it's probably most advantageous for us to take it now instead of risking it and putting it on the market later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I tell people too to to factor in appraisals because here in Oklahoma, the buyer actually has the power to leave a transaction like almost up until the end of the deal. So appraisals are really important here. And um, if a house isn't appraised for the amount at the sale price, a lot of buyers will back out at the end. So I feel like having the staging in a home for an appraisal, even though it shouldn't affect the appraiser's valuation of the home, it does often kind of give the home an edge in terms of what they value the property at. Yeah. The ultimate thing is I think the buyers really only have one first impression, really. And I kind of use dating as an example. If I just roll the bed and put my photo on Tinder, I probably will get some dates, right? But if I put in a little bit more effort, comb my hair, you know, put my makeup on and have a nice background, a beautiful shot, I'll probably get a lot more dates and also higher quality of dates. And I think that goes same thing with staging as well. You know, we're essentially packaging the product. We're not just going to wrap it in newspaper and sell it on the market. You know, we want to properly package our product. And that's the thing is sometimes real estate agents are not connecting that. So it, it can be difficult to convince them, you know, once the deal is on the table. But there are agents out there who firmly believe in that. So I want the listeners to like not give up. You can find those kind of real estate agents. Yes, for sure. Oh yeah. There's definitely a group of agents here in Oklahoma City that they believe in the power of staging. They stage every property. And it's just kind of getting that information out that that's been key for me. And I think too, because we interviewed agents, you know, like in a stager con this year and you know, these brokers were basically like, don't give up. You have to go out and talk to agents. And there are agents out there who are absolutely not going to list properties until it's properly staged because they recognize they can bring higher dollars to their client. And that's actually a real estate agent's job. What they're doing is they need to do what's best interest for the property. So by recommending the right staging for the property is really important for them. Absolutely. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. And you have such an interesting background coming into staging. And you mentioned your, in your bio too, that it was really interning for Tara Hampton from HGTV's Design Star that really did it for you for staging. So do you want to share a little bit about that experience? What was about working for someone that made you fall in love with staging? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a degree in interior architecture and product design from Kansas State University. So it's architecture-based. And when I graduated, I got married to my husband and we moved to the Austin area and I didn't really have any other jobs lined up. I had been looking into going into an architecture firm and all of that because that's just what my education was in and nothing had really lined up at the time. So I got in contact with a family friend, Tara Hampton. She's the owner of Sensible Redesign in Georgetown, Texas. And she kind of just took me under her wing and showed me all of the ins and outs of staging. Her bread and butter was really the occupied staging consultations. So she would do, you know, upwards of four in a day and just like kind of pack out her workday going from home to home, normally hired by the real estate agent to go into their listings and just get everything prepared. So I kind of learned how to organize rooms in a way that would show best and a lot of her styling techniques. That's really kind of where I got a lot of the interest in staging. Because before that, I, I was 24 years old, but I didn't really know much about home staging or what it was. 
And the other thing that really, really kind of was the end thing for me that, you know, staging is my thing coming from an architecture background where if you're at a firm, you're going to be working on projects at least a year, sometimes, you know, multiple years. Then you go to a staging where you still are scratching that creative itch and, you know, applying all these design techniques, but you get the immediate gratification of getting a project done in a few hours. If it's, you know, more of a consultation type of staging or in a day, if it's a vacant. So yeah, it really kind of was the end thing for me after that. I love that. Because I imagine for architectural project, the lead time is quite long, isn't it? Sometimes it could be right. years even. Where exactly. staging, you would really see it done within eight hours or so or less, actually. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to see that before and after like right away. It was really cool for me. Yeah. And I love your journey as well, because I think most people getting into staging thinking that it's quite linear, that you go to a staging school, take the course and you start your own business. But I actually think working for someone for a while to really see if it's a really good fit for them is actually one of the best way. And you're also learning on someone else's dime, which is even better because you're getting paid while you're learning everything. Absolutely. I completely agree with that for sure. Were you mainly trained in doing Occupy consultation? Because it sounds like that was Tara's bread and butter. But I noticed you do vacant staging as well. And now you branch out doing Airbnb and obviously working with builders too. Yeah. So doing the Occupy consultations was definitely what I was like trained in. She also did, which we can talk about later, did these accessories packages that I kind of have since applied to my own business. And from time and time again, she would do vacant stagings, but she would rent furniture locally and then put it in the homes. So when I moved to Oklahoma City and I decided to start my business, I really thought that these occupied consultations were going to be it for me. Like that's how I'm going to make my money. And it was almost immediate that I was like, nope, that's not the market here. Everyone was asking for vacant stagings. So that's, I had to switch gears and do kind of a mental transformation to move in that direction. And how did you shift your process from occupied to vacant? And how does the two differ for you? It was definitely a process. As you know, it's very expensive to get started in vacant stagings because you have to have inventory and all that. So it was a little bit shocking for me. And I don't necessarily know that I was really financially prepared at the time looking back, but I just did what I could. I am actually a licensed agent as well. So I'm at Sage Sotheby's International Realty and I had that community of agents around me that knew that I had just gotten into staging. So that was helpful. Although I do think a lot of them were kind of like, oh, great, another stager who's a real estate agent. So I knew I was going to have to kind of break that you know, view that they had of, of stagers. But the other thing that was helpful is a girl had just joined our brokerage and she was a property manager at this company here who manages a bunch of different apartment complexes. So I just asked her if I could meet with her and they happened to have a job that was for staging one of their apartments when they were going to do an event that was showcasing a bunch of their properties. So it was a really good like first job for me on a smaller scale because it was just an apartment. So I was able to kind of budget out what kind of furniture I needed to put in that home. I tried to find really affordable things. I searched Facebook Marketplace and 
I tried to be really good with my money in the beginning to make sure that I was at least getting some profit in some of my first staging jobs. But that was definitely a great first job for me to get my feet wet into this business. No, I love that. I think most people find bacon staging intimidating. You and I were kind of the same because I thought I was going to be an Occupy Sager when I first started. And then all the projects I got offered were vacants. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like a no-brainer that I had to invest in furniture. I had to go out and buy stuff because that was just basically all the jobs that were available. But yeah, but you definitely can start baby steps. And I think that was actually a great way. And I love that you actually reach out. I think most new stagers feel intimidating when it comes to talking to a real estate agent. But you already have that agent background. So that was great. So do you still sell real estate right now? I do take jobs every now and then to kind of make my licensing worth it, you know, because there's so many expenses involved with having a license. I don't actively look for business and I don't often even really like to advertise that I'm a real estate agent because I don't want that stigma of competition. I know, you know, that can be a factor sometimes among real estate agents. So for the most part, I just do my staging business full time and try to make it not a big deal that I have a real estate license on top of that. But I will say it does come in handy because I have the MLS key. I say that that's an advantage of me working with real estate agents too, because for vacant properties, they don't have to meet me at the property to let me in. I can get my stuff whenever. It makes the agent completely hands-off. There's actually certain real estate agents that I work with that I have never met in person and I've staged multiple properties for them because I just go in and I do my thing and I get my stuff out all on my own. I love that actually. That's what I worked on when I had my home staging business. Not necessarily I was like the cheapest stager or the best stagers out there, but I made it really easy for my client because they can literally just call me and they forget everything. And I just go pick up the key and do my thing and I get paid and that's it. Absolutely. I think real estate agents are looking for the option that frees up their time the most. So I think any you know, service that you can offer to an agent that lets them focus on their clients is huge for them. So being able to advertise that as a stager and just give the power back to the agent and show that you have the expertise in that particular field for a reason, and they don't have to have that expertise in staging and save them all the time and energy involved. Yeah. And especially when agents get to a top producer level, they're really juggling a lot on their plate. And so they really just want a problem solver, someone who gets in, get it done, boom, and they don't have to worry about anything. Absolutely. And making them look good in front of their clients as well. Yes. Yes, for sure. I definitely agree with that. There's several agents that I work with that even they completely pay for the staging. So then they really look like rock stars to have the stager come in and do the project and have it not cost a dime for their seller. And you mentioned earlier, you were doing accessories packages. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that entail normally? And how do you go about pricing that? Sure. Yeah. So the accessories packages, I oftentimes will see new construction, like the builders use those, utilize those. 
more so than anything, it just highlights certain areas that they have spent a lot of time in, namely the kitchen, because there's so many beautiful features that builders will put into a kitchen. And then if they get those shots from a photography standpoint of the kitchen, then it's showing it almost completely furnished, even though there's really not furnishings there. So I will fully accessorize a kitchen. I'll sometimes even add counter stools or bar stools. And, you know, anything, maybe a piece of artwork, if there's something that is, would be kind of within the shot in a kitchen. And then I also accessorize bathrooms and then sometimes even like a mantle, putting a big piece of artwork on the mantle or little accessories on the mantle as well. Some other areas would include like a med bench and a laundry room, essentially anywhere that I wouldn't have to bring large pieces of furniture for. And that automatically cuts out my cost of using movers. And so I can do it pretty inexpensively. The amount that I charge for that kind of varies depending on what all they would need. Like if bar soles were involved, it would be, you know, a little bit higher of a price point, but I can sometimes do it as cheaply as $250. And sometimes if there's a little bit more furniture involved, then I'll charge as much as 500. Yeah. And to clarify, this is just for the photo shoot, correct? Or is this for the entire rental period? It depends. Oftentimes, if a builder might actually already have the home sold, and so buyers are moving in, so then it would just be for photos. But if it's going to be staying there for the rental period, then I'll have to charge a little bit more. But a lot of people do like to have it for showings and everything as well, because it just gives buyers another little feeling of home when they're walking through the space. Yeah, it definitely has a little bit ambiance to that. But do they mind that the larger area is not staged poorly? Like let's say if they walk into the bedroom, the bedroom is still empty. So, I mean, I think that it's nicer to have the full stage done with larger pieces of furniture. The accessories package is really just an option for them. That's more inexpensive, a little bit more manageable, especially again, if the home's already sold and they don't want to, they don't want to spend the the money to put furniture in there if they're just needing a few photos to showcase their work. But yeah, some people, especially if they're just getting started into using a stager, an accessories package can be a good way to kind of get them more comfortable with it so they can see even those minor spots of having a few pieces of accessories and art can make such a big difference. And then that kind of helps ease them into paying the bigger price tag for the vacant stagings. That makes sense. So how is it working with builders? How is that different than working with regular homeowners and agents? I try to streamline my process to be the same. So everyone's getting the same amount of service from me. I would say the biggest difference is that a builder is a part of their projects. Or that's like their baby. They helped through the design process and have seen every step along the way during construction. And so oftentimes they will already have a vision for what they want the home to look like and how they want it to show. They might even have keywords involved whenever they're talking to me. So I try to take their opinions and their visions into consideration when I'm choosing my furniture. And I like to meet with them fairly far ahead of time so that I can you know, have all of my ducks in a row too. That's probably the biggest difference is just having their opinions mixed in with, you know, my availability of furniture and how I think the home should look. 
Whereas for a normal homeowner or an agent who has me go into a home, it's pretty much free range for the most part of me deciding what kind of style and what furniture I would want to use. It's really important to make a good impression on builders, especially because that's what they do for a living. They build homes. So if you can impress a builder, they're going to be a client for life. Anytime they have a new home that needs to be shown on the market, they're going to come automatically back to you. Yeah. And I think the mindset is a bit different as well. Because builders are really about moving the product, right? They might not just build one home. They might be building 10, 20, even 100 or more units. So for them, they really have to move the stuff very quickly. Right. That's very true. I actually met with a builder earlier today and they were talking about all the projects they have coming up where they thought that they might actually just want to have a set of furniture that they move from that home to another home to another home. And if you can get into a deal like that, it's great for a stager because you already have the legwork done from doing the first one. And it's just the process of moving it from one house to the next. So that's a really profitable deal to get into if if you can work out something like that with a builder. Yeah. In scenarios like that, do you charge them for the moves or do they move it themselves? Yes. I like to use my movers for my furniture. And so I charge the builder for each time the furniture is moved. That's great. Yeah. I think that's how it should be because I heard a lot of horror stories how stagers show up for destaging and then they realize their furniture in like an opposite building in the different unit. Yeah. That sounds terrible. (laughs) It is. I hate that. And I think that is really difficult because your furniture is in someone else's property and you don't really know what they're doing to it. And so... I always wonder if there's any things that we can actually make it clear in terms of communication to make sure that the builders understand that it's much better for us to move it because we know how to protect our own inventory as well. I did this model home and they moved the furniture within the building and they broke a sofa and they have to pay for it. Yeah. So that was something that I felt very strongly in future cases, I make sure the client understand that could happen and they will have to be responsible to pay for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think even adjusting your contract a little bit to kind of account for any of those misconceptions is good practice as well. And at what point of their building process do you come in to talk to them? Do they get you involved very early on in terms of selecting finishes or colors and inventory? How does that work? It depends on the builder. Oftentimes, you know, they're very one track minded towards getting their product completed. So I will often come in a little bit later than I would even like to. For instance, the builder that I met with today, their project's going to be done in a couple of weeks. It would have been nice to have been a part of the discussion of stuff a little bit ahead of time. But at the end of the day, I have the inventory available for them. So it's not a huge deal. But especially if you're starting out and you only have a limited amount of furniture available, it's good to at least get the builders in the mindset of letting you in on the project as early as possible so that you can have stuff reserved. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to approach it. So how did you get started working with builders? I think a lot of stagers who do want to work with builders, they feel hesitant because they're not sure how to approach builders or how to get their first project in new construction. Sure. For me, it's really been more of having the right connections. Being in a brokerage, a lot of these agents have their builders that they work with. So 
that has been for the most part, how I've been able to form these relationships with builders has been through the real estate agents. I will say in terms of like home flippers, I have created some connections with home flippers and that was through creating Facebook ads. So one guy that I have worked with from almost the very, very beginning, I put out a Facebook ad and he reached out to me and we've been working together ever since. I'm actually doing another stage for him next week. That's actually a really good resource as well. If, if you're just getting started to kind of get your name out there on Facebook Marketplace and kind of target the ad towards people in the industry. That's amazing. I'm terrible at running Facebook ads. I'm really curious. <laughs> uh, what type of ad did you run? And then in terms of how did you build out your ad in terms of the copy and what kind of image did you use to attract that flipper client? That's a great question. So fortunately, I'm married to a graphic designer who like his job at the time was working Facebook ads for the company he was working for. So I'm very fortunate that I had that resource for myself. But in building the ad, I think one of the most important things for a Facebook ad is to not have text on the actual image and still have something eye-catching. I believe at the time I used one of my former projects as the background image. So just something simple and eye-catching. And then the tagline is also really important. So something about needing home staging. I think at the time I, I had directed it towards flippers. So that automatically grabbed this particular client's attention as he was scrolling through Facebook. I haven't done an ad in a while, but I think there are ways to like target specific industry people. So if they're working within the real estate industry, or they do construction or, or things like that. I think there's a way to target those specific types of people. Yeah. And how long did you run your app for? And what was your budget for your app? I was being very frugal with my money at the very beginning. So I think I spent $100 and I only ran it for about two weeks. But then once I picked up that client, I was kind of like, okay, well, that was automatically worth it to me for that specific ad. And then I ran another ad about a year later. And I think I picked up another real estate agent at that time. But if it's the right connection, especially if it's a flipper or builder, someone that's going to continue using you, I say putting several hundred dollars towards an ad can be extremely beneficial. I would say so. I think your return investment is amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sure. I also want to compliment your husband's work because I look at your website, your branding is beautiful. I love your logo. Thank and you so much. I think the brand identity is really well done. And I think that's probably your husband's work, correct? It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, gorgeous. I know. I'm sure many listeners right now is like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it really worked out for me. <laughs> so do you actually provide any sort of marketing support for your clients as well? Because I think your husband's work is also in a way complementary to yours. I have never broken into that particular service, actually. Right now, where I'm at right now, especially not having assistant anymore, I am kind of drowning in work, which is a good thing. But I also offer some design services. And so having that on top of staging during the day has kind of spread me really thin. So at this time, that's not really something that I'm, I'm looking into, but maybe potentially in the future. Because I do feel like, especially with his help, we kind of have a really good 
expertise in that area. Yeah, I would say so. Because you have such a unique blend of background. In your undergrad, you did product design, specifically in architecture. So you already have a really strong kind of sense of design. And having lived in Italy as well, I think that there's a lot of influence there, especially in Tuscany. There's beautiful architecture there. And then being married to a graphic designer, and you also have a photography background. And I think it does really show in your presentation on your website and the way you present your portfolio as well. I was not on a jury this year for the awards, but I did look at every single entry. And I think yours stood out really well. I think a lot of times when people present portfolio is that they always present it from the same vantage point because that's how real estate photographers shoot it. But the thing is, when real estate photographer photographs, they just want to shoot the room as big as possible. They're not really thinking about the texture, the pattern, all these fine details we put in into staging. And so for us, actually, for our own staging portfolio, it needs to actually be art directed in a sense that, you know, we need to get certain types of photos to really showcase the stories that we can tell visually as a stager. And I think your photos really stood out because you were able to mix in different vantage points. There was very wide variety of shots as well. I mean, there's one that's just like a hallway of the staircase. And I love that because it was such a quiet, intimate moment. It really tell the story of the space without doing a lot, you know? And so I really love that kind of editorial look and lifestyle because I think that also translates very well, especially with the younger generation now, like millennials, they really love the whole lifestyle kind of presentation. Absolutely. I think that is such a good point to make, especially to anyone listening where you get that feeling when you start staging that your spaces look so much better in person than they do in the photos. And it's a little bit discouraging, but kind of how I had to get around that and figure out new ways to show what I was doing is to work with the photographers so I started meeting with, in particular, one photographer here, Sarah Strunk. I have a great relationship with her and she takes, she calls them social media photos. And they are essentially, it's an add-on to her normal real estate photos where she will offer photos that are in vertical orientation and they showcase mostly the staging. So for an extra little add-on, I can spend $50 and have her give me photos that really showcase more of what I'm doing for that particular house that I won the award for. The photographer's name is Justin Myers, and he takes those types of editorial photos pretty much exclusively. So it really just depends a lot on the photographer used on the project. So connecting with your real estate agent on who they're using as their photographer, and then maybe even connecting with that person beforehand to give them your perspective on what you would like to see. And if that might even cost a little bit of extra money to go ahead and spend that money up front. So you're getting the types of photos that will be useful for your portfolio. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually the Vertical orientation is very important because it's very Pinterest friendly. So mm-hmm. it's going to make your portfolio photo even more viral. And I think most people, they forget about Pinterest, but Pinterest essentially is a search engine as well. And actually it also plays into search engine optimization. So I think a little bit of time on Pinterest would be also good. And the other thing too, I think with Instagram nowadays, vertical photos just post and get a lot more interaction and engagement than a horizontal photo. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
been huge for me. And yeah, just again, like you mentioned, just creating more of that lifestyle feel rather than showcasing the actual architecture of the home, using little moments in photography to show the ways that you've accessorized and the quality of the things that you've actually selected for the specific home. So do you actually talk to your photographer in terms of what type of photos you want out of each shoot? How does that process like for you? It depends on the home. Sarah, the one that I mentioned beforehand, I meet up with her periodically to kind of get feedback from her, get little nuggets of information on different things that she's doing as far as real estate photography goes, trends that she's seeing. So and often I will just trust her to kind of get the shots that she thinks are appropriate. There are times, depending on the photographers that are used, that I will go back into the home, oftentimes on the day that I'm destaging, and try to fill in the gaps. Like you mentioned, I do have a photography background, so I have a nice camera, and I know different angles, especially for what I've done staging-wise, what I would like to show on social media so I can go back in and kind of fill in gaps of certain shots that I think were missed. But yeah, just connecting with the photographer, I think, ahead of time, not necessarily telling them how to do their job or what photos you want to see, but just describing that you would like a couple of extra that are more of lifestyle. Oftentimes that will mean turning off all of the lights and using only natural light. And again, some that are in a vertical orientation that are more so showcasing the bedroom setup with like a nightstand and how you've styled the bed or other areas in the home that really have created a good emotional impact. So oftentimes that might be a view up to the mantle and the way you style the mantle, especially if there's built-ins on the sides and also little moments like where the coffee table is styled and that sort of thing. Yeah, I actually think the little moments are very important. And like you said, it's the emotional connection. That's what we're trying to do as stagers through our work. We're trying to emotionally connect to the buyers. But at the same time, we also need to sell ourselves as professionals. So our portfolio photos, This is why I always teach that don't use the real estate photographer's photos straight up. You know, you should ask to see if they can create some sort of lifestyle photos for you. And it's okay to pay a little bit more because it's worth it. Just like you said, you know, you've done that so well with your social media too. And today, clients, agents are checking out Instagram. They are hiring stagers off Instagram today. Absolutely. That is so true. A lot of people will find me through Instagram. What other kind of marketing do you do to get business? I have not been doing as much recently because it's been a lot more of word of mouth. Again, I'm not at a point where I can grow too much more unless I am starting to hire a few assistants. So I haven't done any additional marketing recently, but... Facebook marketplace, or I keep saying marketplace, Facebook ads have been huge for me the few times that I've used them. And well, you know what? That actually brings me to something else I have done. I've met a few of the stagers here in Oklahoma City. And one of those stagers actually just moved to the Houston, Texas area. And when she moved, she kind of left a hole in our market of There were several different agents who were exclusively using her. And as soon as she moved, I knew that I was going to have to step out of my comfort zone a little bit to kind of get some of those agents to start using me as well. So even though it was definitely something I'm not 
super comfortable doing, I reached out to a couple of different brokerages and set up little educational meetings with them to talk to their agents. So I've done a few of those since she left, but I've picked up one particular brokerage since doing a presentation at their office. I have gotten business from 10 of their agents. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I did that presentation back in April, I believe. So yeah, 10 agents since April and several of them have used me multiple times. Can you share a little bit how long was your presentation and what did you talk about in the presentation? Sure. Yeah. So I did ask one of their agents what few things would be beneficial for them to hear. And they requested that I talk for about anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, which can seem like a lot of time to talk. But I had my husband help make a little presentation for me that was visually appealing. I told a few stories, personal stories and examples of homes that I staged and how fast they sold for how much, you know, over asking price. People always remember the stories, especially when you have images that go along with them. I talked about some staging statistics, namely the ones that are given by the NAR. I also talked about, especially important in the market that we're in, where everything is a little crazy pants right now, I discussed reasons why staging is still important, even if homes are selling quickly. So I kind of went through the checklist of things that we've already discussed, like still leaving money on the table for your seller, having images that the agent can market themselves with, appraisals, meeting those valuations that they need to meet, and yeah, there's just, you know, several reasons why staging is still important in a crazy market. And then I also walked them through what a staging consultation would look like. And I try to push my photo ready staging packages as well when I'm speaking to big groups, because a lot of people don't really know what that would entail. Yeah, it's a bit scary if the agents never stage before and then they're asking their client to invest several thousand dollars in staging. It's yeah. a big ask. And I think a consultation is actually a really great way to get a foot in the door because once the sellers have the consultation, they realize it starts to click how much stuff they actually have to do to get the home ready for sale. Most of the time, they're just going to be like, can you just get a stager in, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, and a, a lot of stagers or a lot of real estate agents, excuse me, they don't really know what to expect either if they've never used a stager. And a lot of them I found will almost feel silly asking questions that they feel like they should know the answer to, but no question is stupid. So I have also met one-on-one -on -one with several agents to kind of go through the list of my services and what each one entails because that's not common knowledge that they would just automatically know if they've never used a stager before. It also gives me an opportunity to break down the costs of some of my more expensive services like vacant staging and where that money goes to and why I have to charge what I do. And I think a lot of agents really appreciate being, you know, the clarity and being upfront and honest about, about all of those details. Yeah. And they're salespeople as well. So they kind of understand the importance of the sales process. It's not like you're trying to heart sell them, but you're there to kind of explaining your services and then breaking it down for them in a very digestible way and very approachable way so that they feel comfortable to trust their clients with you. Yes, absolutely. Now, I think being a real estate agent is actually a very scary thing because you're holding everything together. 
And there's so many things could go wrong, right? Let's say you introduce them to your one of your vendor, maybe a painter, and then the painter screws it up, then you look bad in front of the client. And there's so many things that could go wrong in a transaction that it is really difficult for an agent to develop a trusting relationship until they have that they are going to be kind of like walking on thin eyes with you, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What are some of the things that you do to really establish a relationship with your agents? I do think in the beginning, doing like a one-on-one meeting can be really beneficial to just give them an idea of who you are. And oftentimes personality can play a huge part in informing relationships with an agent that's going to continue using you. And then just letting your work speak for yourself, I think is a big thing. If you put 100% into your staging every time, you're going to get results that speak for themselves. And if your homes are selling, then an agent's going to have no excuse but to keep continuing to use you. Yeah. And now that you've run your home staging business for a while now, are there things that you wish you've done differently? Definitely from a business aspect. I wish that I had more steps in place for like putting my systems in place and getting organized from the very beginning, reaching out to a financial planner and and helping walk me through some of those things that I was just trying to figure out on the run. I think that would have been extremely beneficial for me. I think doing some of those talks with different brokerages from the beginning, because I hadn't been in running my business for as long. But I did still have the background in staging from working with Tara. So I felt like I still had knowledge to give. And if I had put myself out there sooner to kind of do more of a presentation style at different brokerages, I think I could have built my business faster that way, formed more relationships at a quicker pace. But for the most part, I don't have many regrets from what I've done. I'm really proud of the business that I've built in such a short amount of time. And I truly love what I do. So yeah, there's just not a ton of regrets that I would admit to at least. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you've done amazing and your work is absolutely gorgeous. And I think one of the things people are really curious about is how do you go about sourcing for the inventory you use in your homes? So a Facebook marketplace has been huge for me. I know kind of the stigma around it is having used furniture maybe thinking those pieces would be dated. But some of my very favorite pieces have come from Facebook Marketplace. Things that people will ask about all the time have come from Facebook Marketplace. So being like on top of your game and searching that resource in your area, I think is super, super important. And also a tip for searching Facebook Marketplace is to like dig and dig and dig. Like sometimes the good stuff or the things that aren't going to be going as quickly are the things that you'll have to scroll really far down into the the bowels of marketplace to find. And I found some, some really cool gems that way, because I like to do some interesting stylistic things with my staging. I don't like to do a, a really cookie cutter type of stage. I like to add in interesting pieces that, you know, a collector might have in their home or interesting art sculptural pieces and busts and those types of things. So a lot of that stuff is what I will locate on Facebook Marketplace. Another little tip and trick that I use is because, you know, art, art is such a huge expense, especially large pieces, which, you know, oftentimes are the best option for staging, especially on some of those 
large walls and dining rooms, living rooms, and that sort of thing. I've kind of taught myself to paint. <laughs> I'm not the most confident painter, but especially if you're if you look at stuff on Pinterest and on Instagram, there's all types of very minimalistic art that is fairly easy to replicate. And as long as you're not selling anything, then, you know, using some of those inspirations to create your own pieces, I think is one of the most affordable ways to get a really high-end look. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially they're so minimal right now. They're just blocks, essentially like watercolors. And there's so much tutorials too online on how to recreate these pieces as well. So that's actually a really good idea. Another little thing that I've done, I like to DIY stuff. So, you know, seeing pieces from like CB2 and Crate and Barrel and West Elm, things that would be, you know, a little bit of a stretch for your budget, especially starting out, trying to find pieces that are similar and then just doing a little bit of some extra zhuzhing too to kind of create a more upscale look, especially using different textures. You know, plaster is really popular right now. So some different techniques and styles like that to make furniture feel a little bit more edgy. I know I watch a lot of Instagram reels and there's so many like Ikea hack where you just like glue two wooden balls together and then repaint it block or something. Yeah. Put a plant in it. It looks, it looks gorgeous. Like a very expensive planter. And most people are not going to know there's like two Ikea kitchen bowls glued together. Yeah. There's so many different cool ideas out there. So just kind of taking the time to do your research and find some of these cool little projects that you could do that would make a huge impact to your staging business. Because sometimes all it takes is a little connection for a buyer to even a little accessory or a little moment that you've created with, with a bundle of accessories that is just the catalyst for them buying a property. And then that just makes you look better. Exactly. So we're coming up to the end of our show. And I just have one last question for you. What would be your number one tip to homestagers when it comes to running their homestaging business? I would say the biggest thing for me has been making connections in my community. So at the beginning, I was so nervous to reach out to other stagers that I knew of because I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm getting started. I don't know as much as them. I don't, I don't have the skill to be what they are. I was very hesitant to reach out to them, but some of my people that I reach out to on a daily basis or on a weekly basis are some local stagers here and we kind of help each other. It also is nice if if you can't take a client to have someone that you really respect and will trust will do a good job for some of these agents that you have cultivated relationships with, being able to pass them off to another stager that you know is going to do a good job being able to ask them questions like this other stager that I'm specifically speaking of, Mabel Layton. Sometimes we'll just text pictures of things and projects that we're working on and say, hey, would you put a tree here? Or what would you do in this space? And so it kind of gives you that extra little bit of confidence in some of the projects you're doing, especially if you're on a tight timeline or you're kind of struggling or not really feeling it that week. And then a few of the other connections that I've made that have been huge for me, especially photographers. So working with a photographer you love, even if the real estate agent isn't using that particular agent, maybe having them come and do a few photos for you so that you have 
the types of photos that you want to use for your portfolio. And then lastly, different vendors that can help, that you can help each other create exposure for yourself. So I have a vintage rug curator here and she will oftentimes put some of her rugs in my projects and then it gives her exposure for her rugs to sell and also local artists. So oftentimes, Sometimes artists will want to showcase their work in these beautiful, gorgeous homes that you have the opportunity to stage. So creating some of those relationships and connections with all these different creative individuals in your community can really help create these amazing and beautiful stages that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to create on your own. I love that. And also, I think because you have this vintage rug supplier and also a local artist, it makes your staging looks more it looks warmer and more lived in, more curated instead of kind of like the cookie cutter, big box store kind of buying things. For sure. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I like to create more of a collected feel and it, I feel like it really tends to create connections with buyers that way to create a more sense of a home. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was amazing. And thank you so much for being so open and generous about your process. Of course. One more thing that I felt like you might be interested in is it was really cool for me to be invited to do this podcast with you because it feels very full circle. One of the things when I was first getting started in staging was as I was looking for resources, I came across Stage for More and I joined a live training, free training that you did. And I think it was your first one that you'd done because I, I can recall you being a little bit nervous of being in front of the camera for the first time. But it just made such an impact on me and just being able to be vulnerable and ask questions that otherwise I might have thought was were kind of dumb if I had asked, you know, another stager in the industry. And I learned so much like valuable information about contracts and all these things that helped create this foundation for the business that I have today. It's really cool now to be giving back to this community that I have taken so much from. So I appreciate you and all that you do. Oh my God. (laughs) I want to cry. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's really nice that you said that. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Yes, I appreciate you. And I know you put so much effort towards helping home stagers across the world. So it's not in vain. Everything you're doing is so helpful. That really means a lot to me because I think meeting home stagers like you who have taken the value from the community and have really applied that to your staging business, that's really what I want. I cannot tell you how much this is to me. Oh my God, I'm like crying. I'm glad I'm not on video right now. So you can't see me cry. But thank you. I appreciate that a lot, actually. That really means a lot to me. Of course. This has been so fun getting one-on-one conversation with you. So yeah, just excited to continue watching as you grow and kind of working together. So thank you. Yeah, I definitely have to say, I, I feel like I've grown a lot in the last few years as well, just through podcasting and through teaching, actually. And actually, I really love teaching because I grow as a teacher. And actually, I learn things from my students. I learn things from the podcast we just did. You know, you share so much tips and your market is really different as well. And so I think it's really always fascinating to talk about staging in different markets and just meeting with people and then sharing their experiences too. And that's really why I keep doing the podcast because I love hearing the passion in people's voices. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm so glad I got to do it and that we were able to connect. Oh, thank you. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.